Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson, investigative reporter Brian Chasnoff. It's uh, our first podcast of 2022. Wishing everybody out there Happy New Year. Hope everyone's doing well. Um, any New Year's resolutions among the group here? Uh, you guys, you guys into that kind of thing at all? <laughs> no, no, not this year. Uh, last year's <laughs> resolutions didn't turn out so well, so screw it. I'm not doing it. Not yeah, that's year. probably smart. How about you, Brian? I mean, I mean, I think we just moved. So the last three weeks have been absolutely crazy, totally thrown off my routine. So I think I just want to get back to normal. <laughs> yeah, That's, that's my good. resolution. I, mine is the same. It's, I, I'm not really into this kind of stuff, but uh, it's pretty much the same as it is every year, which is I tried hoping to say fewer stupid things this year than I did the year before. And I think I'm just kind of trying to move in that direction. That's, I'm keeping my goals modest, you know. Um, Good luck. We, yeah, thanks. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm not sure. It's going to be tough. Um, we had a, a new ad on uh, Sunday from uh, Republican gubernatorial hopeful Don Huffines, who's challenging one of the challengers for Governor Greg Abbott. And uh, Huffines in his ad, uh, among other things, promised that if he's elected governor, the Dallas Cowboys will win the Super Bowl. And um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I think it's pretty clear that... Uh, he the ad was done uh, before the Cowboys face planted on Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, he, he might have he might have rethought the whole the whole deal, but um, it's it's an unusual promise. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. well, <laughs> maybe a tough you know, one. It's you know more you know more magical thinking from the hard right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's right. Um, on the local front, um, you know, there's been so much happening uh, in the last few weeks. The, we, d- we did a podcast on the morning of December 13th, which was the filing deadline for the March 22, 2022 primaries. And we talked about the county judge race. It's obviously an open seat for the first time in more than 20 years. And we focused on the Democratic race, which is, you know, is going to be very interesting to watch. Um, and the assumption has been that you know this is the the Democratic nominee would be the likely uh, winner of the of the election next November or this November. But a few hours after we did that podcast, just before the the, the deadline hit, there was this bombshell, which was that County Commissioner Trish DeBerry, after only eleven months in office, decided that she was going to seek the Republican nomination for county judge. And uh, it, it, there's there, there are a lot of ramifications, a lot of dominoes fell as a result of that. But I guess I just want to start with you, Greg, and ask, you know, we're, we're talking about someone who um, worked really hard, had, had, actually had a very tough race to get elected county commissioner. Um, it's, a, it's a position that's highly coveted, pays really well. And she'd been in office less than a year and really kind of out of the blue with, with very little warning decides to run for county judge. Uh, had you ever seen anything like this happen? No, no. I mean, I, but to me, it's, it's not a surprise that she has uh, greater ambitions than to serve on commissioner's court as, as a county commissioner. Uh, I mean, I don't think anybody would be surprised uh, to hear that, hey, maybe she wanted to be county judge at some point. Uh, that said, you know, this is highly unusual for, you know, like you said, she, she did, this was not a cakewalk for her to win this seat, you know, basically representing, uh, North Bear County, not easy. Um, 
but the timing is such that I mean, she, I, I, I would guess her calculation is if she doesn't do it now, like if she if she sat out, uh, you know, you'd have an incumbent county judge who you know could hang on for you know term after term. Yeah, uh, it's now an open seat with Nelson Wolf, you know, kind of not running for re-election. She probably thought if she didn't do it now, who would, who knows when her next chance would be to run for this seat? Yeah, I think that's right. And you know, it, it's one of those, those cases where, uh, things don't happen when it's convenient for you in politics. I mean, it, it's, this is a right. very, very different example, but I mean, Barack Obama had been, I think what he'd been in the Senate for like two years when he decided to run for president. And I think he probably had some reluctance because it was really early to be doing that sort of thing. But, I think there was probably some recognition like, you know, this window's open right now and it might not be open, you know, after this and which turned out to be the case. I think one of the things that she's looking at too is that this idea, which we don't know how this is going to turn out, but the, the, the thinking that 2022 as the first midterm for Democratic President Joe Biden will be a good election cycle for Republicans and that this could be one of those election cycles like 2014, where we saw a lot of Republican uh, uh, judges uh, voted in a lot of Democrats uh, at the courthouse where were swept out. The thinking is that this might, the cycle might just be good um, for a Republican. You know, one of the things that, that has, has sort of uh, dog Trish to bury during her, her, her time in politics, uh, during her 2020 campaign. And I want to check with you, Brian, on this, because this is something you've written about. The, the issue that, you know, she has this public relations company. She's tried to um, uh, limit her involvement in it somewhat uh, as a county commissioner. But, you know, they've had public contracts. Um, there have been there were concerns when she ran in 2020 about potential conflict of interest. How big an issue do you think this is going to be um, in her campaign for county judge? Yeah, well, I mean, we reported those conflicts of interest before the her race for the, the precinct position, and yep. she still won. <laughs> so True. I don't know how much it resonates with voters. I, I don't know if people will see that as a big obstacle to supporting her. Um, I would, I would guess not at this point. Um, you know, I think she's, she's more of an established, you know, she, she's an established commissioner at this point. Uh, folks have had a, ch- had a chance to watch her, uh, in action now. And, uh, you know, there, there might be some people who, who get in the weeds like that and, and follow local politics to the extent where they're troubled by potential conflicts and, and, you know, who are really tuned into it issues involving ethics. But, um, I think for the most part that, that probably doesn't rise to the fore for most people. You know, she's, she's obviously been someone who's really uh, connected to the local business community. She had a lot of business support when she ran in 2020, um, for County commissioner. I think that's going to be a key to her, uh, campaign for County judge. And one thing I'm, I'm curious, one thing I have heard, um, because this, decision was made so suddenly and with with very few people knowing about it in advance i have heard a little bit of um uh, you know complaint complaining private complaining uh from people who were maybe supporters of hers in 2020 the, the, the with, the, with the idea that you know people who donated quite a bit to her campaign last year were thinking that we're putting this person who is going to do certain things that we want to 
see done as as a county commissioner, and then they're giving up their seat after eleven months, and maybe a little bit of a uh, I don't know if this is how this will will play out publicly, but maybe a little bit of a private sort of uh, you know uh, annoyance about the, the the idea that this person is giving up this seat um, that we maybe that we provided some financial help to get them there. I mean, Greg, do you think this is going to be much of a factor at all? Well, I mean, it, it depends on which group of contributors you're talking about. I mean, if you're talking about the the business community at large, uh, you know, they would rather have, you know, they, they would rather have the ear of a county judge <laughs> than, than yeah. a precinct, you know, commissioner. Uh, if you're talking about, uh you know, people in her her precinct who believed in in her agenda, who yep. who you know felt like she was the right person, uh, and they contributed on that basis. Yeah, they probably feel uh, not great, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. They're probably a little a little ticked off and shocked that she made this decision for the business uh, contributors, you know, executives, CEOs who are writing checks to her campaign and in corporate PACs. I mean, to them, the question is uh, electability. Um, That's right. You know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of business people would like to see her as county judge. The question is, do they, you know, put their name on the line? Do they sign a check that we will all be able to see <laughs> because mm. of, you know, campaign finance. It's, it's publicly accessible. Those records are, yeah. uh, are they going to want to do that? Um, side with her publicly, uh, only to see her lose. And then mm. you have to worry about, you know, okay, well, what about the new person, the person who beat her in the general election for County judge, whoever that happens to be. That's right. Uh, okay. And, you know, am I going to be able to make amends with this person? I think that's, that's part of their thinking right now. The, one of the, the ramifications of, of Trisha Berry's decision is that um, we're now going to have an open seat in uh, precinct three, which is you know, her precinct. And it, it's, it's really a complex process that we're going to be going through this year to, uh, to find her successor. Uh, this is happening on two tracks. On on one track, you've got the appointment for an interim replacement, and this person is going to end up serving uh, less than a year, and that that person is going to be appointed by County Judge Nelson Wolf. And uh, the the thought is it it will be a Republican because it's a Republican precinct. I think already I'm hearing from some uh, Democrats who are thinking Nelson Wolf is a Democrat. Why should why shouldn't he consider Democrats? Uh, for, for that uh, appointment. But I think the thought is it's going to be a Republican. So that's happening. At the same time that that's happening, we're also looking at a 2022 election to uh, replace Trish DeBerry in that seat. And after a period of a few days of confusion, it looked like we were going to have a, a primary election, uh, Democratic and Republican primary elections to, to fill that seat. The Texas Sec- Secretary of State's office, they reversed themselves and said, because of the timing, because she uh, filed for county judge so late that um, they the election code basically stipulates that the county executive c- committees for both parties uh, will pick the nominees. So in the near future, we're going to see both the Republican and Democratic uh, precinct chairs decide who their nominees are going to be uh, for county commissioner. On the Republican side, we're looking at you know Greg Brockhouse. I know is very interested in this, or there are some other people who will, will, will find out about 
Um, but one of the things that I think is, is going to be really interesting is that Reed Williams, former uh, city council member, and probably kind of the epitome of a sort of a pragmatic, moderate, fiscal conservative. Um, he ran as a Republican uh, for state Senate uh, a few years ago, had a horrible experience, said he realized he was not a Republican, and he's decided to run as an independent. Um, so again, we we don't know who the Democratic and Republican nominees are going to be, but we got Reed Williams uh, in the mix as an independent candidate. Uh, Brian, you know, we all know that how difficult it is for independents to win. But Reed Williams is, you know, he's not the, not the typical, um, you know, independent candidate. He's, he's got a pretty high profile in San Antonio. Um, yeah. do, you, do you see any path for him at all? Well, uh- I don't know how many people remember Reed as well as I do on city council. I mean, I was covering city council really closely when he was the councilman. Right. Um, and Reed was always the voice of reason. It seemed, mm-hmm. uh, intelligent, uh, calm, uh, you know, still, still, uh, seemed, uh, somewhat conservative, but certainly, uh, like, as you said, a pragmatic conservative who, Took the, really took the time to explain issues from the dice uh, in a way that I mean it mattered to him that he was following a, a <laughs> that he was following a, a logic in reaching decisions, right? right. Um, and and he wanted he wanted people to to understand why he would make those decisions, why why he would why he would arrive at those decisions. So I think people who have a memory of of Reed uh, will probably probably be uh, well disposed toward his candidacy. What do you think, Greg? Yeah. I mean, so Reed Williams is, uh, you know, you talk to him for two minutes and it's clear to you, this is a very, this is a very smart guy. Uh, you know, his, his background is in the oil and gas industry. He was, he did uh, refining logistics for uh, Tesoro, which was one of our major refiners based in San Antonio. That's that's really how he he got here. Uh, and you know, he ran for city council, won won the seat, and I think did really well. I mean, he came in at a time when uh, CPS Energy was pretty heavily invested in expanding the South Texas project nuclear plant. Um, and there, you know, there were a lot of objections to that. Mayor uh, Julian Castro was mayor at the time. And I, th- you know, he was, he identified uh, Reed Williams as someone who could kind of run point on this between, you know, city council and CPS energy to really study whether this, this expansion was necessary. Reed Williams really concluded that, no, it wasn't. Um, you know, you could, Given the low cost of natural gas, that's changed a little bit over the last year. But you know, at the time, natural gas was cheap; it was going to be cheap for years to come. He's, you know, he was in favor of of uh, power generation with more uh, natural gas, and that was really kind of that was that was really one of the nails in the coffin to the expansion. So his his you know even as a first term councilman, his his word carried a lot of weight. Uh, because you knew he had put the work in, and that's kind of how he he conducted himself on city council. With with Reed, uh, he's he and he'll tell you this. I mean, he he is not 
He's not a great retail politician. He's not warm and fuzzy. He doesn't connect easily <laughs> with with uh, people he's talking to. But you all, you know where you stand with him, and you you he's very clear on you know his thoughts on any given issue, kind of how he arrived at you know whatever position he has. He's clear about all of that. There's no mystery to the guy. Um, you know, it's just you know it. it is is the politics of the time, you know, going to allow for a candidate like Reed Williams and him running it as an independent? I mean, there are some, you know, structural uh, problems running as an independent, as you know. I mean, you know, this is, you know, this is a, a country, city, state that's dominated by two parties. If you run outside that party structure, it's always going to be more difficult. Um, so to me, I mean, there are real questions about given those, the structural challenges and the fact that he's, you know, he's not a great retail politician. Uh, you know, I question, uh, you know, how viable a candidate he's going to be. Yeah. He's somebody that I think he's kind of respected uh, across the line, but, uh, you know, as, as, as far as vote getting him, that's, that's the big way. I mean, this, he's somebody who was kind of the point person for a Democrat, Julian Castro on the tree ordinance on, uh, he, is put in charge of a task force to look at public safety costs. Uh, more recently, uh, Ron Nuremberg put him in, in charge of, of uh, a committee looking at emergency preparedness after the February free. So he's, he's been out in the community a lot, but yeah, it's going to be, t- and he's got to get, I think it's 500 signatures and it has to be from people who do not vote in either Republican or democratic primaries, which I th- is, is, a, you know, it's just, it's a, it's, it's a pretty tricky thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, in a, in a county of over, you know, 1.6 million, uh, it sounds like 500 is no big deal. It is a big deal. <laughs> it's not, it's not easy to do to find, uh, to find a voter who, who doesn't do primaries basically. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, they that's have to be interested simple. enough, interested enough in politics to want to sign your yeah. petition, but they have to either just be so apathetic. They didn't vote in the primaries or they just hate both, both <laughs> parties so much that, you know, it's, 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 a, it's you got, so it has much, to be yeah. a certain type of person. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, yeah. It, and I think that one thing that, that could, this is happening really in a climate where we've had Lyle Larson, a Republican state representative. He decided to step down um, or not to seek another term because he's fed up with the Republican party. He basically sees himself as an independent. Now we've seen Joe Strauss, the former speaker of the house, longtime Republican has been very critical of the Republican party here. So I think one of the the things that will be interesting is if the Republican uh, executive committee, County executive committee picks a really extreme figure. And I'm thinking of like a Patrick Von Dolan or Western, Western Martinez or someone like that, a real culture warrior. Um, I think that might, um, be beneficial to read with him. It might be a situation where he might be able to, there might be able to be a little bit more room for him to make the case that, you know, I just want to solve problems. And this other person is, you know, is, is really on the kind of a a culture war kick. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch. Right. Uh, I do want to wrap things up. Just to talk a little question. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Sorry to throw this at you, but you've written a lot about Lyle Larson. Um, And in the back of my mind, I thought there was a good chance he might actually run for county judge is are you surprised at all that he didn't i mean do you think lyle larson is just done with politics and we're just not going to hear from him again you know i i thought he was actually going to run statewide just because he he despises um dan patrick so much i thought he might run for lieutenant governor and that doesn't look like it's happening and after a while it started to look more like he was maybe trying to 
push for Joe Strauss to run. Like maybe Lyle would be the the you know the the person helping to to guide a Joe Strauss campaign. Um, and I think that's probably what he what he was hoping for. Um, so you know, I I don't know. I think that that um, I don't know if he if he is interested in going back to county politics. Obviously, he was a commissioner for a while. I'm I'm not I'm not sure about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess there's also the possibility mm-hmm. if he decided to run for, uh, you know, seek an office like that, um, as an independent, he has time, you know, he doesn't, he's not, that is the one positive for an independent. They're not, um, uh, you know, they, they don't, they don't face the same, uh, filing, uh, deadlines that, you know, that, that someone would, would, if they're running for, um, in a primary. So there still might be a surprise from Lyle Larson out there, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm, I think it's a big question mark what he's going to do. I could easily see him say, I'm going to go fishing and I'm never going to run for anything again. Um, I could totally see that. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit before we wrap things up about what's happening with, with, with COVID-19, just because we've seen the the case numbers and the hospitalization numbers spike in San Antonio and Texas, really everywhere with the uh, Omicron um, variant. And, you know, Greg Abbott is, is, is tending to put a lot of blame on the Biden administration for, uh, you know, the fact that we haven't, there's a kind of a shortage of, of, uh, of testing kits out there. I think the Biden administration is in the process of, of trying to get those more of those out. Also, uh, uh, a shortage of an- antibody treatments uh, for, for people in Texas. Um, and I guess I just want to get both of your thoughts on, you know, this is going to be such a big issue in this election. And people are fed up with, with COVID. They have, there's, there's a fatigue and uh, just frustration with this. Is, do you see it as more likely that they're going to blame the Democratic president, Joe Biden, for being maybe too aggressive on um, vaccine mandates and, and so on and and or maybe not doing a good enough job to, you know, when it comes to the, the, the testing and, and and so on? Or, or are they more likely to blame Greg Abbott, who got rid of a mask mandate early this year, who has fought against vaccine mandates, who has really fought against various restrictions that would have, uh, you know, possibly, uh, slowed the spread, uh, of, of COVID. I mean, Brian, I'll start with you. I mean, how, how do you see this playing out? Well, I mean, I think Biden will take the brunt of it <clears throat> and he's, I mean, he's taken responsibility yeah. for example, the lack of testing over the holidays, which was a major problem for a lot of people, right. uh, probably for most people, because, you know, you're trying to, you know, every, everyone has, uh, not everyone is feeling a hundred percent. And you, you wonder if you, if you have COVID and you want to go visit your relatives and exactly. there's no test to, to, you know, it's just a, it was a major source of frustration. And, and to answer your question, I think, uh, I think that that falls on Biden more than Abbott, just, uh, just, uh, by, by dint of, of his position in the federal government. Yeah. Sure. What do you think, Rick? Yeah. Yeah. I think in the, uh, in the Republican primary, I think it's going to be a totally different argument. I think you'll see, uh, governor Abbott championing, championing his fight against, uh, mask mandates against vaccination mandates and really trying to protect himself from, you know, from, from the right attacks from the right, from, from Don, Don Huffines mainly. Um, 
assuming he makes it out of the Republican primary, if that's how it works out, I think the argument is going to be different going into the general election. Then I think Abbott's focus is going to be much more on uh, the failings, you know, or what he'll cast as the failings of, of President Biden, just in terms of testing on the one hand, you know, the, the, the lack of availability, although that's actually probably not going to be an issue by the time, you know, we hit the fall. And right. on the, on the other hand, uh, vaccination mandates, I think he'll really, uh, really hammer that pretty hard. Yep. I think that's right. Well, uh, on that note, we're going to wrap things up for this week. Again, hope everyone's doing well out there. And uh, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week. Take care. Take care.